Hey everyone, Future Tanner here. I just wanted to pop in and talk to you guys about a few things for this episode. Uh, first off, when we originally recorded this, the plan was for it to come out on November 11th because we're now recording a week and a few days in advance. But partway through, we decided it was better to release it earlier. So I edited it so that it sounds fine, but if some of the timing of some things we talk about seems amiss, well that's why. Secondly, the reason we're releasing it early is because it has some fairly topical stuff in regards to politics and the climate of the world we're in today, and we didn't want it coming out after the U.S. midterms and sounding very uh, incorrect, I guess. That means that if you are sick and stressed about everyone talking politics, like, we, we get it. It's a lot to deal with, and if you can't handle me and Lindsay going on long rants about history and how some people refuse to learn from it, and you just want to bypass this episode so as to not get bummed out, just go for it. I promise, we're quite a bit lighter in the coming weeks. If you are up to listen to this, that's awesome, and I think we said some really good stuff, but that does lead me to my third thing, which is that I kind of sound like I'm recording inside a tube this week. I don't know how that happened, and I can't really fix it, so that's just what I sound like this week. Anyway, with all of that out of the way, let's get started. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Not If I Reboot You First, the podcast where me and Lindsay take popular properties and reboot them before Hollywood has the chance to. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Tanner. Lindsay, how was your Halloween? Um, turns out I had to work, and it was a busy day because, of course, people are like, oh crap, I forgot about the candy, the most important part of Halloween. Yeah. Also, I, I just found this out, like, it, it goes to show how little I know about how the world works, but I just found out that end of the month is also pension payout day. Yeah, not surprised. So, yeah, the past three days at work was just everyone buying all their groceries for the next month, and this apparently this happens every month, and I just did not notice it. I was just like, oh yeah, sometimes it gets really busy in here. Yeah. And one of my coworkers told me, you know that this is when all of these senior people get paid, right? Yeah, something like that. I'm like, oh, this oh, yeah. this makes so much more sense. Yeah. My store also seems to have a spike on the seniors about every Thursday. Just all of a sudden a sea of gray. <laughs> <laughs> also, we ran out of pumpkins very quickly, obviously. Yeah. It's well, it's a sweet spot cuz you have to get them early so you can actually get a hold of one, but if you get them too early, then they rot before Halloween. Yeah. But if so, you get them too late, then, well, you're usually SOL. Exactly. So we, like, early Tuesday morning, we were like, yeah, we're out of pumpkins, no more pumpkins. Don't even entertain the idea that there are more in the back. There are none in the back. And then, so we're like, we've accepted this, and the customers have accepted this for the rest of the day. All of a sudden, at, like, 5 p.m., a guy walks up to my till with a fully grown pumpkin. Where? And me and four other people were like, where did you find this? And apparently, like, it was part of a display in the deli that no one had really noticed until he walked up and was like, hey, can I buy that pumpkin from you? And they're like, oh, yeah, go for it. <laughs> yeah, we don't need it. <laughs> so November 11th is Remembrance Day, and it's going to be a big Remembrance Day because this is the 100th anniversary of the end of World War One. Oh, dang. Yeah, yeah, it's that big. We're probably going to have a royal visit because... Him, him, him. Yeah, well, 
here's just like a general opinion. Like I really do think that Remembrance Day should become a national stat holiday. Oh yeah. Like you want to be respectful. You want to get people to come out to these ceremonies. Just saying. And you know you don't have a actual holiday between Halloween and Christmas other than Remembrance Day. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe we should start being more like the Swedes and adding, or the Norwegians start adding in like St. Lucy's Day in early December. Oh yeah, that'd be a nice buffer too. Yeah. I don't, I'm assuming that's a holiday where they celebrate the works of Lucille Ball. <laughs> um, what do they do? It's technically speaking a um, Christian feast day, but it's still got a lot of pagan stuff going on. Yeah. A lot of Christian holidays are have heavy air quotes around the Christian. Yeah. Like Easter, really? It's supposed to be about Jesus' resurrection and the redemption of mankind. But like, honestly, the, the eggs and the bunnies and the maypoles, if it coincides with May Day and mm-hmm. all of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, anyway. So. Today's topic... We're going to be doing something brand fucking new. We're going to be creating a movie whole cloth. Oh, boy. Yeah. Because not even a spin-off prequel? <laughs> not a prequel, not a sequel, not a remake. Like, I did think, I temporarily thought for a moment, and this is sacrilege, of remaking All's Quiet on the Western Front, but there is a very excellent version for the 1930s out there. Okay. That people should go watch and find. And I'm just like, yeah, no, I can't top that one. There's no way I will be physically able to top the 1930 All Quiet on the Western Front. Valid. Yeah. So. I thought you were going to remake The Great Escape. No, no. I had this whole joke planned out where I was going to sing The Great Escape theme, except it would be the theme to Magnificent Seven. Because I know (laughs) that The Great Escape has a theme, but I can't remember it. But you know what theme I can remember? The Magnificent Seven. (laughs) well that might be for next year okay yeah because there are some things that i do want to change about that movie mostly um there was a shit ton of canadians involved god damn it Eh? america kind of swallowed that movie fuck you hollywood does that a lot yeah well fuck you hollywood and your perennial belief that no american is going to watch a movie that doesn't have an american in it like that myth has been thoroughly dispelled but up to fairly recently you would be damned to find a movie that didn't at least have American actors in it. Yeah. So, anyway, today is also Lindsay's History Corner. Woo! I'm going to teach you about your new favorite person who I cast uh, Adam Beach to play. Though, he might be getting a bit too old for this role, but he could play the older version of this guy. Okay. Yeah. So, anyway, dude by the name of Francis Pigamagabo. He was born uh, March 9th. Can you spell that for me, please? Oh, wait, never mind. It just auto-completed for me. Uh, He was born March 9th, 1889. Died uh, August 5th, 1952. He was born on the Shawanaga First First Nation Reserve over in Noble, Ontario, which is near Perry Sound. So that's about a five-hour drive from where I live. All right. I could theoretically visit it on a weekend. So Noble, Ontario is indeed named after Alfred Nobel, the inventor of dynamite and creator of the Nobel Prize, and was home to two explosive factories during World War I. Go figure. Yeah. So Pekamagaba was Ojibwa. He was orphaned by 1891. They don't know exactly when his dad 
when his parents died. Um, they seem to have died from the same disease, so. Um, and he was raised by Noah. Okay, I'm just going to say this right now. I'm going to butcher a lot of these names because... Um, Nebi Maniquil? Uh, yeah, Maniquad. Um, who had okay, raised is it, Pegama- is it quad when it's spelled like that or is it quo? I don't know because a lot of these names, like when the European explorers were coming through, it was first the French. So they Francified a lot of those names. Oh, and boy. then when the English took over, it, they Anglified the Francified versions of everything. Oh, what a nightmare. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Goddamn languages. And this happens to a lot of languages, not just First Nations languages, but it... The First Nations language has got the butt end of this. Uh, so, yeah. anyway, Pegamagaba learned hunting, fishing, and practiced a mix of Roman Catholicism and Anishinaabe spirituality. He completed his education by 1912 and worked for the Department of Marine and Fisheries on the Great Lakes as a marine firefighter. And then, 1914 and a bunch of... Hang on. A question. Marine firefighter. So... Okay, that area has issues with uh, forest fires, and one of the best ways to fight them is actually from a boat, because there's not a lot of roads to get into all the different areas. Okay. Yeah, and this is before you've got stuff like those uh, planes that like just load up on water, right, like you yeah. can fly them down into the lake and they'll suck up water and then drop it. So yeah, you basically have a fire engine that's a boat. Nice. Yeah, I, that's actually- I, I wanted to get some clarity on that because <laughs> I knew Marine wasn't as in Semper Fi, but also you hear the term Marine firefighter and you assume he is fighting fires underwater. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, think of fire engine on a boat. That's okay. basically it. Um, so he did that for the summer of 1912, and then in 1914, some kids, some students in Serbia decided to shoot Archduke Franz Ferdinand and his wife. Nearly yeah. completely fla- failed at that. Like, holy shit, oh. these guys had... <laughs> they tried to throw a bomb, but the bomb bounced off the back of the car. Uh, they tried to shoot at them, but like it went wide a bit. And then one of the guys decided, okay, they're going to catch me, so I'm going to swan dive off this bridge and make my getaway or die trying. And this is in the middle of a Serbian summer. So the river that normally goes through Belgrade uh, had about four inches of water in it. Oh, no. <laughs> so he lands. And he's like, okay, back up. Take out. I'm going to eat some cyanide and I'll leave a beautiful corpse. He chews on it. It had gone bad. So he just starts vomiting. Oh, Lord. <laughs> and then the other guy, the famous guy, Gavrilo Princep, um, he decides, okay, this he was is just gone. going home. Yeah, he was just going home. He realized that this has completely failed, so he stops over at a cafe to get himself a pity sandwich, and then he looks over and, oh fuck, is that the Archduke? Bang, bang, World War One starts. God, what a stupid. <laughs> I know. I'm We're laughing, stupid, but stupid, like... but that's an especially <laughs> stupid war. God damn it. <laughs> like, this is the one war that could have been completely avoided because not only could, like, Gavrilo Princep had just gone home and not shot the Archduke and his wife, the- afterwards, there was a whole bunch of opportunities for this war to not, you know, escalate further than just a fight between Austria and Serbia. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, if Austria hadn't issued these impossible terms and Serbia wouldn't, might have been, like, 
I don't know. It would have been a localized conflict. And if Kaiser Wilhelm wasn't Kaiser Wilhelm, and if the German high command at the time wasn't going through a fucking existential crisis about the whole socialization and modernization of Germany, because apparently they thought that Germany was losing its morals and its, you know, Prussian-ness, <laughs> the, the socialists were going to take over. Basically, that was what they were worried about. So they're like, hey, let's go to war and we'll get everybody manly again. Yeah, that didn't work out great for them. And then over in is Russia... Lindsay's like, histor- Lindsay, is your history corner this week going to make <laughs> me sad? <laughs> um, With all the stuff that's topical to today? Hopefully not too much. Okay. So anyway, onward with my rant. Um, if the one guy hadn't you know, said to Tsar Nicholas II, hey, I know that this decision is going to be tough for you, and weakness was like his big-ass berserk button, then Russia would have stayed out of the war. And if Britain had just been a bunch of fucking jerks to Belgium, and are like, yeah, no, we're not gonna, you know... Okay, so Belgium gains independence from France and the Netherlands way back in, like, the 1840s. Yeah. And Britain was their guarantor of independence. So if anything happened to Belgium, Britain was supposed to intervene. But in this situation, they could have just, Britain could have just been like, yeah, sorry, you're on your own, Belgium. And stayed out of the fucking war. They didn't need to get involved. Britain, you promised. Go away. You promised, Britain. (laughs) Oh, God. The little brother's being annoying. Fuck me. You pinky swore, Britain. Yeah. So, yeah, there was a shit ton of opportunities for this war to be just like a little localized thing. But no, no. (laughs) And fucking Otto von Bismarck, the former chancellor of Germany, was like, yeah, 20 years after I die, shit's going to go down in the Balkans over something in the Balkans. He was he actually predicted this war happening. He was off by a couple of months. Well, I think (laughs) quite a few people did. Yeah. They're referred to as like the powder yeah. keg nations for a good while before that happened. Yeah, like they knew that something was gonna happen, but it didn't need to be this bad. Yeah. That's the thing. There was a whole bunch of different parties who could have stayed out of the war. And on top of that, even even with everybody involved, if if the Germans hadn't stuck to the Schlieffen plan like they did, if they had realized, hey, we need to be flexible about this plan, they could have easily won the war by like 1915 at the latest. Hmm. Things would have been different. Oh, yeah. For sure. And, okay, listen. Look and listen. Yeah, look and listen. German Empire, not at all like Nazi Germany. Well, because Nazi Germany came about because most people saw the leadership from the Great War as a failure. Well, the leadership tried to say, no, it wasn't our fault. It was all those Jews and the socialists who were secretly running running everything. It's like, no, Ludendorff... Hindenburg, it was your fucking fault. You could have ended this war way earlier. But you didn't. And you overestimated everything because that is a very German problem when they are fighting in the 20th century. Jesus Christ, they overestimate themselves all the fucking time. (laughs) Yeah, I just listened to uh, a Dan Carlin series about uh, the Eastern Front during World War II and oh boy, does like, there's so much stuff where I am like, you didn't think this through. You honestly did not think this through. (laughs) Anyway, 1914... World War One starts. Uh, Francis Pekamagabo joins up with the Canadian Expeditionary Force, even though there was heavy amounts of discrimination against minorities at the time. Like, oh shocker! Oh yeah. Trust me, by 1917, they're going to be like, okay, we're still fucking racist, but at the same time, we need fucking warm bodies. <laughs> You're alive and you fit our physical requirements. Here's a uniform and a gun. Go. <sighs> so yeah. 
he joins up despite the discrimination. He gets posted to the 23rd Canadian Regiment, the Northern Pioneers, also known as the Algonquin Regiment. They are now a primary reserve unit. Uh, he was transferred over to CFB Valcartier, probably to be eaten alive by fucking mosquitoes because I've been to Valcartier and, ugh. It is, okay, for context, it is a Canadian Forces base that's home to the Vandus and it's outside of Quebec City. It's a fucking marshy. Oh boy. Yeah. Not fun. Super boring. I took a taxi there, and of course, this is a Quebec taxi, so I'm gripping, like, the arms, white knuckling it the entire way there, because the roads are built by the mafia, and the guy is driving, like, <laughs> about 100k? No, over 100k. It was almost 120. Quebec taxis, you don't believe in speed laws, driving on the mafia roads through the swamp. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, anyway, our boy is at Valcartier. Uh, he's doing his training. He decorates his tent with traditional symbols, including deer, which is his clan symbol. People start calling him Peggy because it's probably easier than saying Pegamagabo. Yeah, I know. I mean, only by two syllables. Yeah. I know this one guy. He used to work at the bakery. He's been recruited into uh, the army. Yeah, he's drawn up with the army. He's Iranian, and he's got this long-ass last name. 26 letters. Hmm. Yeah. Hang on. I'm, I'm trying to count how many were in my last name. <laughs> I've only got 11. Yeah. So, and even that trips people up. Yeah. So, yeah. For I us, pride myself. Sorry, I, the tangent. But I pride myself in being pretty good at saying people's names when they're from, like, non-European languages. Mm-hmm. And, like, just the other day at work, because at work, the way our system works is that uh, it, like, it pops up and says the person's full name, and we have to confirm their name before we put their order through. Yeah. And it was a black woman, and she had a name that I am pretty sure was from an African language. I don't know which one, but okay. I could just tell based on the, the structure. And so it pops yeah. up and it's about as long as mine. And so I start and then I pause and I see the look on her face. She's like, oh, the fucking white person's going to butcher my name again. And then I just say it again. And she gives me another look. And she's like, oh, okay. Okay. You've got this. Okay. Let's yeah. Okay. Sure. Let's go for it. Right on. Right on, white boy. <laughs> awesome. So, uh, CF tradition, when the face with overly long names, is to say first letter, and then how many other, the number of how many other letters follow that name. Okay. So, my boy Faraz, I told him, you're going to be called S26. That sounds like a fighter jet. (laughs) (laughs) It does. And also, like, if you need to say their name fucking quick, because everybody refers to each other by their last name in in all armed forces... Yeah, it's better to say, hey, S26, or whatever nickname he gets. Faraz is going to get a fucking nickname. I, I I know. He's one of those types who will. <laughs> Look, I got I got called Shredder, so, and Crash. Shredder was because I spent three weeks shredding documents. <laughs> on an old Shredder, so, yeah. No, you, you use that, you try and impress people with it, like, oh, yeah, I've, I'm called Shredder, because during basic, I just broke a tree in half i was so angry yeah and then you go ask wilkinson and no no she just shred documents for three weeks so they call me crash because i stole a car and i drove it through my co's barracks i actually fainted during first aid (laughs) wow (laughs) they started talking about compound fractures you know me and compound fractures yeah that's true and, like, to be fair, that's when, the, like, the bone is sticking out of your fucking skin. So. Oh, ah, uh, yeah. Yeah. Right, yeah, you, you, have, you have a heart of iron and a stomach of papier-mâché. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, so anyway, back to Peggy Boy. So he gets deployed in February of 1915, crosses the Atlantic, winds up in Belgium. Because part of Belgium did not fall to the Germans because, again, the Schlieffen plan fucking sucked. So his baptism of fire is appropriately the Second Battle of Ypres. So that was from April 22nd Wait, to that's May- how it's pronounced? Ypres? Yeah, Ypres. That was like Ypres or Ypres. Uh, I, I've just always called it Ypres. I've heard it called Ypres. I've also heard it called Ypres and Ypres and all that sort of stuff. I just go with the one I heard first. So, yeah. The Battle of Yeet. <laughs> so, anyway, that is in... Belgium, it's from April 22nd to May 25th, 1915. It has inconclusive results. Nobody is entirely sure who won. Um, was noted for being where um, the Germans first used chlorine gas. And this one dude by the name of Captain Francis Alexander Karen Scrimger is supposedly the Canadian doctor who, who passed out an order saying, Piss in your hankies, lads. Because as it turns out, urine can counteract chlorine gas. Huh. Yeah, it's fucking gross. And the British forces were immediately like, okay, everybody's getting fucking gas masks now. But yeah, if you're ever in a pinch and there is chlorine gas about... Water sports. Find something to piss in and then stick it on your nose. You're still gonna get like horrible burns and all that, but you won't die. Yeah, yeah. It was also where John McRae wrote In Flanders Fields. Right. So yeah, that's the poem that everybody says during Remembrance Day ceremonies throughout the Commonwealth. Yeah. And uh, Pegamagabo established his reputation as a sniper and scout and was promoted to corporal after the battle. His next big engagement was the Battle of the Somme. So this one in Canadian lore, um, actually more Newfoundland lore, is rather infamous because on July 1st, when the battle first started, at Beaumont Hamill, most of the Royal Newfoundland Regiment got wiped out in a single day. Oof. Which... Okay, here's the thing about Newfoundland. Newfoundland has a very small population, especially at this time. It took out a like almost an entire generation of young men. Yikes. Yeah. Newfoundland was never the same after that. Like it was on its it was on the road to being an independent nation of its own. And then this happened and then the Spanish flu epidemic happened and then there was uh, the 1920s and 30s were rough. Uh, there was a lot of political corruption in St. John's. And then the stock market crash happened, and eventually they had to be, they were downgraded to a colony. Wow. Yikes. Yeah. And then they ended up joining Confederation in 1949, which was a 51 to 49 decision. Holy. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, Newfoundland history is kind of rough. Yeah, dang. Yeah, because the next big thing that happened in Newfoundland was the uh, cod moratorium. There was a new fishing technique that was introduced back in the 70s, I want to say, and it devastated the Grand Banks because it basically just scraped the uh, seafloor or the ocean floor and it it would take out a lot of the uh, egg beds where the fish would... Yeah, so they were basically destroying their own... Industry. Yeah. Like their biggest industry. Unknowingly, until it was too late. Nobody knows when the Grand Banks is ever going to recover. Like it used to be that like the Grand Banks had so much fish that like when it was first discovered by uh, John Cabot, Giovanni Cabato back in uh, the 1490s, it stopped his ship. Like the sheer volume of cod stopped his ships. Wow. Yeah. And now the industry is almost, well, it's been recovering, but like it's still not in the shape that it used to be in. So, yeah. I was going to make a kiss the cod joke, but now I'm just sad. Yeah. (laughs) 
So anyway, Pegamagaba was rooted in his left leg and butt during the battle. Oh, yeah. His left I leg should... and butt? No, just his left leg. Um, okay. He was... Uh, I just remembered I should tell the dates of the battle. Uh, July 1st to November 18th of 1916. So this is one of the longest continuous battles of the entire uh, war on land. Because uh, the naval battles... Basically, just consider it all one big battle yeah, continuously. Yeah. Uh, let's see. So, Pegamagaba received the military medal for carrying messages along the front lines during both uh, Ypres and the Somme. And this is critical to unit cohesion and all that when they go over the top and making sure that everybody is where they're supposed to be and knowing what the targets are, all this sort of stuff. So, critical to that. Then the second battle of Passchendaele. So this is October 26th to November 10th of 1917. So this is where Pegamagabo earned his first bar to his military medal. So over the night of November 6th, 7th, um, his battalion was tasked with launching an attack. The reinforcements for his battalion became lost. Pegamagabo guided them to their allocated spots and they had a successful attack. So yay! Yay! Go him! All right. And his final big engagement was during the Hundred Days Offenses. So this is the last, this is the denouement of World War One. This is the point where World War One starts looking like World War Two. If somehow the Germans had managed to continue fighting, we would have been seeing like the earliest forms of Blitzkrieg. Ooh. That's how advanced, how much things have changed in just four years. Uh, on August 30th, 1918, at uh, the Oryx Trench near Upton Wood, almost out of ammo and in danger of being surrounded, Pegamagabo braved heavy machine gun and rifle fire into no man's land and brought back enough ammo to enable his post to carry on, assist in repulsing heavy enemy counterattacks, and insist in repulsing heavy enemy counterattacks. And yeah, I said 1918 looked a lot more like 1940. And Pegamagaba earned his second bar to his military medal, becoming one of only 39 Canadians to have this honor. So a bar is like a special designation on your medal, indicating like you did something that basically earned this medal twice. And also to any of our listeners who are not from Canada or not from any Commonwealth nation, the thing about our militaries, because we, we got a heavier dose of British influence in how we do things, we don't hand out medals that often. Like, you really have to do something special to get, like, a conduct medal, a bravery medal. You're more than likely going to see guys with, like, a single row of campaign medals. Yeah. Whereas down in the States, you know, you got the whole chest of medals thing because you'll get, like, your units, your units' historical stuff, and you'll get stuff for being great at marksmanship and for how many years you've had in service and a whole bunch of other stuff that... (laughs) The military up here joke that it makes them look like Boy Scout patches. <laughs> Whereas here, it's like, you see a guy with like two bar, like two rows of ribbons on their uniform? You know that person is kind of badass. Yeah. Three rows and you're talking about someone who had a career. So 1919, Pegamagabo is invalided home, um, and he was one of only a few soldiers on either side of the war to serve basically from beginning to end. So... That's also an achievement. They didn't really say what he was invalided out for. Maybe it was from an injury. Maybe it was, you, you did know, get because... injured in the leg. So maybe that just kept going. Yeah. And also you got the Spanish flu epidemic going. So he might have gone sick. Oh, okay. Yeah. That was a pretty nasty disease. For sure. Um, for sure. Yeah. Um, I think PBS actually has a really good documentary about it from Nova. It's got an American perspective, but like it's still, you know... 
pretty good to watch, especially nowadays when we are, as a civilization, running the risk of another big disease hitting us. Yeah. So, yeah. Good to know. Anyway, Pegamagavo, he had built a reputation as a skilled marksman, used the much maligned Ross rifle, so... What was wrong with the Ross rifle? It was... The problem with the Ross rifle is that it was a hunting rifle that was initially issued to be used in trench warfare, and it's one of those rifles that is delicate enough that you don't want to get a muddy at all. Okay. In the muddiest war in history? Yeah. As it turns out... really great sniper rifle but that's because you can like sit in a tree or somewhere like you can keep this rifle clean and it's an amazing rifle the problem was it's not good for just like your regular bog standard trench warfare the cef so counterintuitive though yeah i know that's like of one of the desert storms or something like they send their gen kill people in and it's like we're outfitting you with these new outfits these new uniforms and they are impervious to all bullets just make sure you don't touch sand with them or they'll burst into flame (laughs) yeah well anyway it proved to be a pretty good sniper rifle um but your your average canadian soldier was fighting with an english uh lee enfield which is also a really good rifle okay yeah they're still used up north with the um canadian rangers Hmm. because um it's wood and metal and somehow it does better in like subarctic weather than the modern plastic ones but okay that's probably more to do with just like chemistry and the cold and plastic doesn't really do that well in freezing temperatures anyway so no no so he's the ross rifle he is credited with 378 kills and capturing 300 more germans so awesome yeah uh he attained the rank of sergeant major which is pretty fucking good for a first nations guy during a pretty racist time like they obviously saw that yeah pegamagabo is worth his weight in gold except he never received uh, sorry i'm also on the wikipedia page right now he never received a higher award like the distinguished conduct medal or the victoria cross and uh famed canadian author joseph boyden was like oh maybe it has something to do with the fact that he was native in a super racist time maybe that's a factor (sighs) <sighs> I don't know, because, like, there were, at least, when you're looking at the Raj, like, like the Indian troops, there were guys who received the VC, who were ethnic Indians, who were Desi guys, who wore turbans. Like, it's obviously that they're Indian, and they got VCs. The Gurkha Regiment is just full of guys who have VC, but, like, also, those guys have a very, very good reputation, very earned reputation for being badass. That even I would the Brits say also are the, like, like the uh, the British monarchy has a very different mm-hmm. relationship with India than it does its other col- yeah. places it's colonized. I I'm that, not, I don't know the historical basis of how that happened, and I'm not saying it's great, but there but seems to be a bit more respect there compared to it, literally anywhere else. Well, also like that's. The monarchs up until George VI were the emperors, so maybe they placed it. It was called the jewel in the crown of the British Empire anyway. Like, it was seen as special. Canada was the weird backwater. (laughs) (laughs) Like, they liked us. We are, like, their most senior colony that stuck around. We're looking at you, America. Now, you could have had it all. (laughs) Rolling in the tea. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, especially looking at America now, it's like, how's that yeah. republic doing? Oof. Okay, but let's um, yeah. let's not mince words. Canada isn't this magical place. No, where no. we got a shit ton of problems. It took us to like 2005, I think, to even admit that hey, maybe we did the native population dirty. Yeah, like we got a shit ton of skeletons in our closet, and we still have a shit ton of problems. Oh yeah. But honestly, when your neighbor is basically a tire fire, we do look super good in comparison. Yeah. I I, th- I think one factor is that our police aren't a second military. I think that does help. Yeah, like, yes, the RCMP does have battle honors, in fact. But I think they are pretty much more concerned about, you know, actually doing their job. Yeah. Not saying that they do it perfect, but it's this whole thing where it's like, we don't give, like, I don't know. It's super complicated because humans are complicated and we fuck up all the time. And the problem has been when big people fuck up in particular, the actual decision makers, they don't want to admit that they fucked up. Yeah. And that's where a lot of our problems come and a lot of it's not my fault. And also when you're trying to teach this to younger generations who weren't there mm-hmm. and who haven't really done anything, but the problem is, you know, you're trying to stop the perpetuation of this and this is where like the teaching of history comes in and people are like stop trying to guilt us for stuff that my great-grandparents might not have never done because oh yeah my great-grandparents were over in Europe at the time how could they have done this they Mm -hmm. were poor peasants over in Poland trying to not be cut down by Cossacks that's fair but we're trying to teach you don't Fall for Just the because same you stuff. personally didn't contribute to this kind of atmosphere doesn't mean that you're not benefiting from it and that you, and by you I mean we, us, yeah. the white people, we have a responsibility to try and deconstruct this atmosphere. And like when you're with a group of people or when you're with their family and you see one of them like their gaze falls on a native person and they start to clutch their pearls, you need to take the time to say, hey, maybe no. Yeah, and the big thing, like when you are studying history, and I'm saying this to everybody out there, it's the important takeaway is that history isn't your fault, but you can learn from history. You can learn not to repeat this. Don't fall for their tricks. You have the benefit. You have this amazing benefit of the saying, hindsight is 2020. You can see where everything went wrong. Mm Mm-hmm. Use that and think about that. Like, you were in the position where you have all of this accumulated knowledge. Why should you fall for the same tricks? Yes. And also, um, k- kids, listeners, uh, pod squad, we are in history right now. Yeah. Um, and definitely, like, I know a lot of people in Canada like to just say, oh, well, all the stuff that's happening in America, that that doesn't apply to us. It's not going to happen here. Like, oh, well, make sure it doesn't. Yeah. Like, because Don't be fucking complacent. Don't be lazy. We can say stuff like we're, we're not as unilaterally racist as um, the American system. And we are way better with, actually, I, we can put our finger down and say, yes, we are much better with guns, period. Um, yeah. But like... <clears throat> well, first of all, we, we don't have the same culture when it comes to guns. Exactly. We've like, never had that culture. I, I, I can wax what I talk about how much I think that the police in Canada are so much better, but also, like, 
Colton Bougie and all that stuff yeah. and the law in general. Like it, yeah, maybe it doesn't specifically target African American and Black people, but that doesn't mean it's not targeting other minorities and marginalized yeah, groups. And so we, we need have to... disproportionate representation of young male uh, Native uh, First Nations peoples and Métis and Inuit men in our prison system. Like mm-hmm. that shouldn't happen, and. We should retroactively, I, I'm now forgetting what the legal term is, but like all of those like really stupid drug uh, offenses, like for possession of like really tiny amounts. Expunge them? Yeah, just whatever that term is, do that for all those people. That will take off years of their sentences, if not get them straight out of jail. Yeah, like there's so much that needs to be stricken from their records. Yeah, and what I feel about the Canadian law enforcement, what our problem is, is priorities. It's like, back during the Harper years and the attempt to introduce uh, mandatory minimums for drug offenses, but not doing anything about shit, like not punishing rapists and child molesters enough. Yeah, frick. And, <sighs> yeah, we're getting really off topic, but <sighs> we just need to say this. There is a lot of stuff that we need to get out there. There is there is a climate in Canada that, yeah, maybe it's not the same climate that's in America, but it is... It is problems of our own that do need yeah. to be addressed. Bad shit can happen anywhere. Fascism can happen anywhere. And it will take its own form depending on the culture. It's not going mm-hmm. to be a repeat of Germany or Italy or Japan. It's going to be your country's unique flavor of it. Because yeah. those who want this, who want to be this fucking awful, do know all of the carrots and sticks of our society and how to use yeah. them. It, it comes down to holding the governings and the systems of empower holding them accountable and also here's a really old military maxim that you can use in order to fight these fuckers who want to go down the route of america and trumpism and all that and brazil and brazil the big thing is know thy enemy you got to know how they work how they operate how they're communicating with each other and then you can destroy them basically yeah but yeah hold Hold syst- the systems in power, hold them accountable, so that if if they're good, they can stay good. If you start seeing them go bad, like some stuff that does happen with America, the corruption, and I'm sure there's plenty of corruption in Canada too. If you yeah. see that and you need to speak out against it, find a way to stop it in its tracks before it becomes the norm, yeah. rather than the exception to the rule. And also, not just in Canada, but everywhere, get to know how your government actually works. Who has mm-hmm. power? Who? What sort of powers uh, at every level there is? So from your local town councillor all the way up to your heads of government. So in Canada, we have the Prime Minister and the Governor General, a.k.a. the Queen, a.k.a. the Crown. And they have very distinct powers that are meant to check each other. Now, the crown doesn't seem to do a whole lot, but that's because their powers are what I like to call the nuclear option powers. Mm. The ones where... Not literally. Not literally, because we don't have nukes. But um, the crown can fire the prime minister. So Didn't they try and petition them to do that at some point a few years ago? Yeah, back in the 1920s, and it was super controversial. Longer than a few years ago. (laughs) Yeah, no, um... Or there might have been, but it's one of those powers where the crown does not like to use it a whole lot because it makes them, it's super controversial. It can, it's one of those things where, honestly, it's one of those, don't make me use this power. Yeah. Like, it, using it is going to cause a lot of political turmoil, so don't use it unless there's, no, like, you're already so far deep. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes the... 
parliament can actually ask the governor general or the crown, whoever the monarch is, to intervene personally. But that is like, we have passed the Godzilla threshold. Yeah. Anyway, back to Francis Anyways, Fegmagabo oh and his post-war career. He returned to Perry Sound. Uh, he would serve in the Algonquin Regiment in a non-permanent active role. So basically, he was a reservist for most of his adult life. Um, he was elected chief of the Perry Sound Band in February of 1921. And then he caused a schism after writing a letter saying that those of mixed blood should be expelled from the band. Oh, dude, you were doing so well. Look, everybody's got fucking skeletons, okay? You got skeletons, I got skeletons. Oh, the blood percentage BS yeah. is the, the worst thing I ever learned about. Yeah. So, anyway, he was re-elected in 1924, but deposed in a power struggle in April of 1925 because he and the local Indian agent did not get along. Holy shit. Um, he was appointed counselor from 1933 to 36. Hang on, there, there is the note that says that before the motion, the motion for him to be deposed could go through, Pegamagabo resigned. Yeah, so, so he, he literally did pulled a, you can't fire me, I quit. Yeah. <laughs> That would have been... In this movie, that is a very dramatic scene. Yeah. With the full, uh, you can't fire me, I quit. Or some version of that line. So in 1933, the Department of Indian Affairs, which is now the Indigenous and Northern Affairs Canada, that's another department that needs some fucking reforming. I, I'm i kind of on the side of just scrapping the Indian Act altogether and writing a new thing. But that's fair. That's coming from a privileged white girl, so... Yeah. I still think we need something different. Yeah. Because like it doesn't... It doesn't reflect the reality of today. Exactly. So, anyway, there was a change made to its policies that forbade First Nations chiefs from directly corresponding with the DIA, and everything had to go through the Indian agent, Pegamagabo, and a lot of other First Nations people did not like this. Hence, a lot of the power struggles that happened in the community because the Indian agent was a fucking dick and was playing favorites and all that. In the meantime, First World War veteran, First Nations veterans... Uh, were very politically active given the whole we fought in the trenches of Europe for four years for king and empire, were gas shelled, shot at, all of it. And what more do you need from us to prove that we are true and loyal subjects of the crown? Mm -hmm. Like, really? And that was a sentiment that a lot of colonized people have. It's like, what do we have to do to get some fucking respect? Like, France created a monster with Ho Chi Minh. Yeah, yeah. You know, Vietnam and communism... All up Ooh. in there, he was a Vietnamese Oof. nationalist. He was trying to get Vietnam at least autonomous. And he went to Versailles during the Paris Peace Conference to talk to the French government and other European governments about the status of Vietnam, then known as French Indochina, and being like, hey, can we get more autonomy? And they're like, no, go away. They basically created a monster. Yeah. Because, let's face it, communism has a... I said, everybody's got skeletons in the closet. Um, There are bone fields out in Russia. Yeah. There are killing fields in Asia, all in the name of communism. Yeah. I'm sorry, Tumblr socialists who are like, but communism will be great. No. 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 It and fascism have the very bad problem of being super inflexible political systems that will kill to enforce whatever their leader wants yeah so yeah sorry about that bummer but anyway um pegamagabo and a whole bunch of other first nations veterans they went around the world talking 
to other veterans talking about their experiences, both amongst fellow allies, and I'm assuming that they went to former enemy countries, too. Okay. And probably are like, hey, we had very similar experiences. Oh, you guys were the one in the ones of the trench across from us. Cool. And like this was still up until fascism became a thing in Germany. I bet a lot of those World War One veterans on either side would have been like, we went through similar stuff. Yeah. Your captain sounds a lot like our fucking lieutenant who, you know, they were hoity-toity guys and got shot pretty quickly (laughs) yeah we had similar stuff with our food and we had fun and games and remember that first christmas when we thought that this was still you know a fucking adventure yeah these people had a lot more similarities and differences pegamagabo and all of these other first nation veterans they refused to be sidelined by the newly empowered indian agents and the guy back at paris sound labeled him a mental case and disposed from local government but he still was active. He was still fighting for First Nations rights. Yeah. And he eventually died in 1952 at the age of 61. He left behind a wife and six kids. And here's some good stuff. Pegamagabo is a member of the Indian Hall of Fame at the Woodland Center in Bradford, Ontario. His memory uh, commemorated on a plaque honoring him and his regiment on the Rotary and Algonquin Regiment Fitness Trail in Perry Sound. The 3rd Canadian Ranger Patrol Group HQ building at CFB Bourne. Ugh. Um, And I'm saying blah because Bourne fucking sucks. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Is named after him. There is a life-size statue of Pegamagabo at Perry Sound erected on National Aboriginal Day uh, 2016. So that was so the National Aboriginal Day is June 21st. And in 2003, the Pegamagabo family donated his medals and chief headdress to the Canadian War Museum where they have been on display in the World War I section since 2010. Was that where we went? Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah, we saw them. Nice. Yeah, yeah. I thought so. I just I wanted to double check. Yeah, yeah. Like the Canadian War Museum is actually pretty good about getting um, artifacts and memorabilia from first, uh, well, from all sorts of uh, First Nations veterans. Uh, there's a really neat buffalo skin from a Blackfoot veteran of the First World War. So uh, there's a tradition where a warrior goes out, he fights, he comes back, and then he records what he went through on a buffalo skin. Oh, cool. So uh, this guy, he went and fought in Europe. So it's it's kind of neat looking seeing like how he represented what he went through. Also, I really liked the War Museum because it didn't pull any punches when it came to like, saying stuff about, oh yeah, it wasn't like, oh, Canada came and we kicked ass and we took names. Da, da, da. No, it's like, here's the, some important battles. Here's some important people that fought on them. Uh, hey, you know, see all these this list of uh, Native Canadian people who helped fought the war and helped win the war for us? They were treated like shit when they got home and our government still hasn't paid for it fully. Yeah, well, Western countries have issues with treating their veterans in general like shit but yeah if you're a minority veteran you get treated even worse yeah the whole thing just just very very blunt and honest about how like the the war at home can be just as shitty as the war abroad yeah they're also like oh yeah women had to fight for their fucking right to vote during this time Mm -hmm. we're also dealing with veterans who are coming home with crippling disabilities both physically and mentally because yeah, those gas attacks fucking destroy your lungs. 
Yeah. Better drink some piss. <laughs> yeah. Piss in your hankies, lads. Yeah, you got guys coming back with horrific scarring and just missing limbs, so now you got disabilities. Mental disabilities now because of the early studies into post-traumatic stress disorder yeah. are happening, and they're not nice. There's a lot of electroshock therapy going on. Oh, boy. But yeah, women got the vote. We got um, income tax. Oh, yeah, another bullshit thing from World War One is the fucking daylight savings. I don't mind daylight savings that much, but of course, I come from someone in a place that does not change the clocks ever. Yeah, yeah, I'm living in a province that fucking changes its fucking time. <sighs> My sleep schedule's gonna be fucked. <laughs> God damn you, Kaiser Bill! <laughs> so, yeah, and also, World War One directly leads to World War Two because Germany did not do a whole bunch of introspection about, like, no. what went wrong. No, they did not. No, it's not our fault that we lost. Damn it, 1930s Germany. This could be us, but you're schliefen. Yeah. <laughs> I listened to a podcast recently about how a lot of World War II could have been avoided if um, certain people on the Allied side had listened to the anti-Nazi resistance that was growing who are in sensitive enough places that they could be like, hey, here's our battle plan for our invasion of France. Yeah, we're gonna go through the Ardennes. Oh. Yeah. Or, hey, we got this entire plan to assassinate Hitler, and we got like all these people in place that we can take over the government like right away. We just need your backing. And they're like, whatever. Ugh. Yeah. A lot of stuff could have been like, by the end... Okay, do you know how many people had joined the Abwehr with the explicit point of then going over to the Brits and being like, hey, we want to be double agents. Oh, wow. Yeah. I did not realize that was that common. Oh, God, it was super common. <laughs> the historians are now 100% sure that uh, Admiral Canaris, who was head of the German Abwehr during World War II, was just like full-on trying to sabotage the German war effort. <laughs> 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 he got shot for it by the end, but no, he wasn't even shot. He was hung with, like, piano wire or something. Yikes. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, you still got awesome guys like uh, Wampa Hall Garcia, whose story might be portrayed in a movie with uh, Oscar yeah, Isaac. Yeah, I heard I they were don't know. working on making a movie out of that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a pretty crazy story. And Wampa Hall Garcia is fucking awesome. And then there's also, like, Dushin Popoff, who might have been the inspiration for James Bond and once swindled the Abwehr out of two million dollars oh skills in 1940s money oh wow yeah holy yeah <laughs> and he could have warned the united states about pearl harbor ahead of time if um fucking j edgar hoover hadn't been j edgar hoover Ugh. yeah j edgar hoover is just a bundle of issues you no know, so many of the worst parts of history is just ah oh, shoulda coulda woulda yeah that's why Hindsight's twenty twenty. Yeah. You can see how this goes from our vaunted position of being in the present. Um. Anyway, now to our actual job of how do we turn Francis Pegamagava's story into a movie? Oh yeah, we were gonna make a movie out of this. Yeah. Like I was agonizing over like how this movie would be structured. I feel like we should have part of it be set. Uh, during his more political career, and part of it during his military career. And then we just flash yeah. back and forth between the two timelines. Yeah. And, like, keep it clear. And we what we could do, because I still want Anna, Adam Beach to be in this, is that we have Adam Beach as older Francis Pegamagavo. Yeah. 
politically active because how old is Adam Beach now? Oh yeah, he's 45 now. Okay. Um I was just thinking like Pegamagabo would be a pretty young guy during World War 1 because he was born in 1889. That's 1914. That would make him just turning off a whole bunch of stuff so I can get to the calculator. Yeah, he was only 25 uh, okay. at the start of the war. So yeah, we could probably cast um some up-and-coming First Nations actor, yeah. ideally Ojibwa, but I would say open this up to anybody who wants it. I'm just, I'm double-checking Boo Boo Stewart, because I know he gets a lot of those kind of roles. Yeah. I don't know. He has Chinese, Japanese, Chinese, and Korean ancestry on his mother's side, and Russian, Scottish, and Blackfoot ancestry on his father's side. But he's also 24. Yeah, he fits our age. Um, I would. I still was gonna just... say that if we didn't get Adam Beach, we could get Eugene Brave Rock, but I think Adam Beach actually looks more like uh, Francis. Like Pegamagabo. Than... Yeah. Pegamagabo. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, especially um, older Pegamagabo. Mm-hmm. And then we would just need to find a younger actor who looks a lot like Adam Beach to portray younger Francis Pegamagabo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because hopefully when we make this movie, the reason we can't get Eugene Brave Rock is because he's busy making a Red Wolf movie for Marvel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we do the flashback flash forward and we can easily distinguish between Pegamagaba's present and his past just based on aesthetic. the actors. Yeah, based on the actors, based I, on the setting. Because if we tried to do it linearly, it would feel weird. It would feel like two separate movies. Yeah. Now, if they're like, hey, do a miniseries, then maybe linearly. But if we want to do a movie, I think it would be better if we were had two timelines going. Yeah, because I was debating, would this be better as a miniseries? And I think you could probably do it in probably under 10 episodes, hour long. I could each. see it as like a six episode miniseries. Yeah. But I think if we did it as a movie, you could condense a lot of stuff you wouldn't have to show a lot of detail for the military yeah. stuff you could just show like the greatest hits per se and the thing about world war one especially on the western front is that it didn't really change fighting wise a lot until 1917-1918 yeah because 1917 was when they finally introduced tanks okay these are very very early tanks they don't go very fast they got thin ass armor <laughs> Like, they're not what we're going to see later on, but this changes a lot of stuff. And as I said, by 1918, warfare's looking a lot more like what you would see in the 40s. And a lot of people, um, a lot of people in the World War One history circle are like, yeah, if this had somehow managed to get into like 1919-1920, this would be a very different looking war. In fact, you could, um, as an extension of World War One, if you look over... To the east, to Russia during the revolutions in the Civil War. That's the sort of fighting going on that is a lot more modern. It's a lot more maneuver warfare. It's looking a lot more like what you would see in the 40s. As for aesthetics and all that, like I don't want to do too much of the usual gray for World War One. Yeah. World War One is a very gray-looking war. But that's because like we in the West are mostly seeing the Western Front, which is a lot of mud mm. and a lot of gray. So I want some color in there. Moments of brightness and moments of levity. Not be too much of a drag. Yeah. But at the same time, maintain that this is a serious movie. Mm -hmm. Not be too Oscar baity though. Oh, it, I think just because the subject matter would definitely come off very Oscar baity. Yeah, that's 
that's the problem because like I also like don't want I don't want this to be another inspirational person of color thing. Like, yeah, it's going to be inspirational to First Nations young folk. Well, I think that's the thing is that we're not he he's not the magical Native American, yeah. the magical Native Canadian who's coming in to help help the white people feel better about themselves. His whole thing is that he's trying to help his own people. Yeah. He is truth coming out of his well to shame humanity. <laughs> <laughs> like he, yeah, his his priorities are help other Canadian natives and also help World War One World War One veterans. Yeah, first World War veterans because and so I think and I think also a part of what happens with Oscar movies is that comes out during the marketing more so yeah. than the films itself yeah because like yeah we're if we were making this film we're making this film to tell the story but there are plenty of oscar films that are mostly made to tell the story yeah of this specific person yeah and maybe one of our strategies is to not release it during oscar season because that is definitely signaling to everybody that oh yeah don't bother this is an oscar movie yeah um so Kind of going the route that Christopher Nolan did with Dunkirk, probably release it during the blockbuster season. Mm-hmm. We could even have the marketing be kind of misleading and make it look like it's kind of on the same vein as Dunkirk, where it's like, show all the war stuff. Yeah. And then they come in like, ah, oh, we tricked you. It's a serious film about issues. <laughs> but yeah, we do have some action set pieces. Mm-hmm. Just to keep you satisfied. Yep. Because yeah, we could... I think another big thing why World War One doesn't get a lot of media attention apart from being like now a hundred years in the past, over a hundred years in the past now, um, it doesn't seem like it was that action packed of a war. It actually was. There was a shit ton of stuff going on. I might come back next year with a proposal for remaking Lawrence of Arabia because he is a far more complicated person than anybody actually wants to admit. And also, you know, focusing more on like the actual Arab revolts and uh, why this all went wrong. Yeah. I think another reason that World War Two is more popular is because it has very clearly defined villains. Yeah. Like <sighs> Whereas World War One, it's like there is kind of a bad side, but not really. It it's more like the only really bad people were at the top. Like yeah. everybody else was fucking normal. There was this sense that we're not that different in hindsight. Mm-hmm. After the war, like, fuck, Australia and Turkey are, like, the only countries out there that have m- memorials to the enemies that they fought during World War One. Oh, wow. Yeah, Mustafa Kemal Ataturk um, dedicated a monument to the Anzac troops who died at Gallipoli, because he was also there at Gallipoli uh, commanding the Turkish forces. And over in Australia, they have a monument to the Ottoman forces. Because they realized, like, yeah, we got a lot more in common with each other than we thought. Yeah. So, the, in conclusion, World War II is more popular because branding. A simpler narrative. It's a simpler narrative from the Western side. Yeah. Yeah. World War II is a lot more, has a way more gray in it than people want to admit, especially in the West, because we won. Yeah. Won. And, yeah. And, let's face it, Nazis, evil. Yes. Uh, the fascists down in Italy evil the japanese imperialist fucking evil they did terrible things everybody did terrible things humongous mistakes were made that could have completely averted a shit ton of stuff but that's our history that's our timeline yeah sorry for bumming you out (sighs) it's fine (laughs) 
we'll survive. Okay, so I guess that's <laughs> that concludes this episode. Lindsay, where can people find you on the internet? Um, I'm on Twitter at lindsaym476. That's Lindsay spelled with an A. Because I went to Starbucks the other day and they spelled my name like L-Y-N-D-S-E-Y. <laughs> nice. Yeah. My name has about a do- dozen different variations because white people. Yeah. Like, okay, on a tangent. Uh, when my mom... Or was it my grandparents? Either one of them uh, was calling about to announce my birth to the rest of the family. Um, they had called my English cousins, and they were like, "Oh, how do you spell Lindsay's name? L i l i n d s a y." And they're like, "Oh, good, it's the proper way." <laughs> <laughs> okay, they won't probably wouldn't have posh English accents. They're more working class, so. But I'm not even gonna attempt a working class English accent. It would sound like an idiot. <laughs> um so yeah from my twitter you can get to my pinterest my tumblr my uh instagram yeah tanner where can people find you people can find me on the internet at sparky upstart on twitter and i mean that's the only one i'm truly caring about right now i have a tumblr seek it out if you dare <laughs> um you can also find this very podcast on twitter at n-i-i-r-y-f pod which stands for not if I reboot you first and is pronounced Nyarlathotep. <laughs> you can also email us at not if I reboot you first at gmail.com. Send us your critiques, your comments, your corrections, your rages, your suggestions for future topics, things you found in walls. <laughs> I don't know. We're going to get all MFM up here. Yes. Well, speaking of which, since we're, uh, as stated in the beginning spiel that I'll be recording after this, that we kind of are airing this episode out of order from recording it. And so I can't really give a hint for next week because we already know what next week is. And Lindsay can't really give a hint for next week because her episode won't be next week's. It'll be in two weeks, but it's going to be a week from now when we're recording. God, time is weird. Look, how about... We still give each other the hints. We'll just like edit it in a way that. Okay. Yeah. Well, I was I was gonna suggest that um, in lieu of a proper hint for this episode, we uh, get do a fucking hooray. Yeah. So, Lindsay, what's your fucking hooray for this week? Let's see. What has brought me joy? Um, creating more fanfic ideas. Yay! More plot bunnies. And also figuring out what I am going to say to Christina from the Home for Wayward OCs when I finally actually, you know, get on there. Have you emailed her yet? Not yet. I'm I'm going to wait till December so that she can get through, like, the actual, you know, season-related okay. stuff. Because mine's just, like, about my Harry Potter OC from way back when Pottermore was still kind of interesting. Nice. My fucking hooray for this week is, uh, well, one of them is that last night for Halloween, there were two girls dressed as Mal and Uma from Descendants. Oh, nice. And I didn't want to be a creepy older guy talking to these two tweens like, oh my gosh, Descendants is so great. (laughs) But Descendants is so great. And I was so happy to see them. And I was squeeing inside of me. Excellent. Um, And also, I have been working my way through the interstitial actual play. Nice. It's good. 
that's awesome. I should probably start listening to that. So Yes. See, you'll have a much easier time because you won't be pausing every five minutes to write down the tropes that apply <laughs> to the situation. Yeah, no, I'm probably going to do that to Ryan's stuff to finally like get him a fucking page on TV tropes because let's generate some actual interest. Yes. Uh, Lindsay, do you want a hint for what I'm going to be bringing for the next episode? Sure. So next episode, we're going to go back in time and shake Sinatra's hand. Okay. Sounds cool. Mm-hmm. So uh, we'll see you guys later. See you. Bye. Bye.